Entering the Freedom Hut. The beginning of reopening in some states. Also, light, humidity, and heat kill the coronavirus. Did someone say ingest cleaning solvent or UV rays? Every job gained the last 10 years is now gone. Should states be allowed to go bankrupt? $484 billion added to PPP. The progressive transformation agenda and Biden thinks Trump might delay the election. That and more coming up. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, great. you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Our only conclusion is that we're getting there, America, because the American people have put into practice the president's guidelines of social distancing because you've been listening uh, and adhering to the guidance of state and local officials. Uh, we are uh, we're making we're making meaningful progress. Um, our task force actually believes, Mr. President, that if we continue these mitigation efforts in the days ahead, as states implement their policies, including phased reopening that will preserve those gains. We do believe by early summer we could be in a much better place as a nation. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Appreciate you being here. Much to get to today on Friday. And uh, we are starting to see states creep out from mass house arrest. I thought it was so fascinating. Earlier in the week, the attorney general referred to this as house arrest, and people were saying, that they didn't like that, what would they call this? This is not quarantine. Quarantine is what you do with people who are sick. We are quarantining 99.99% healthy people. So it's not quarantine. It is also now a state mandate in most places. So that's right. This is, this is house arrest for your own health. That's what they've been telling you. Uh, but some states are now moving toward open status for different businesses, not all businesses, some of them. Here's the Wall Street Journal reporting that Macy's Gap and TGI Friday are among the major national chains that are saying they're going to sit out the early phase of reopening in states like Georgia and South Carolina because of of health concerns. Best Buy, Starbucks also continuing in lockdown mode, although they're allowing stores to do online orders or curbside pickup in in those cases. So we're going to see, we're going to see as this experiment plays out in states, uh, how well they do. And I would just note that in some of these states, it would be completely bizarre for them to have a major outbreak, given how small the outbreak has been in that state to this point. And that includes a period of time that was at least a month, maybe a couple of months, during which there were no procedures, no precautions in place whatsoever. So why would North Carolina or Texas see some kind of spike? Why would that happen? Doesn't seem rational, does it, to believe that that's going to... Now, there's still going to be precautions in place, right? There's still going to be uh, those mitigation measures that we're all so familiar with. I've got to say, I don't think I really need to see any more celebrity or newscaster wash your hand PSAs. I, I think we get it at this point. Everyone's like, wash your hands for as long as you sing. Happy birthday. And, and everyone is also, I'm glad to see, getting tired of the Orwellian propaganda that's out there uh, 
uh, for different companies and all this stuff. You know, there's there's a lot of this. Look, I, I get it. We should to the degree we can. We should all come together and we should find ways to to be as positive as we can. The moment I try to do that here on this show. But there's some stuff that's a little funny. I mean, how many how many companies really? And there's some great montages out there online right now. How many companies need to have somber piano music play and then they show a, a montage of people walking through fields of grain and then sunny days and then a babbling brook and then a beautiful suspension bridge over a non-distinct part of the country and then more people holding hands perhaps in a field of grain and you know the piano we don't need that we, we we get it we can handle our own music we've all got iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is. Uh, we don't really need this, but this is what keeps up. I'm getting I'm getting more emails than I've ever gotten before in my life. And what's amazing is that a lot of them are from companies. You know, if, if I bought a tea set from, you know, tsets.com or something 15 years ago, I get an email that says, just want to inform you about our policies regarding COVID COVID-19. I'm like, I don't think I don't think we need this email. But we all know that people also recognize that we're we're captive audiences. And so they're trying to build their email lists and their audience share. So there are business motivations behind some of this, too. But the businesses that are opening back to this state by state here, um, Dick Sporting Goods, for example, opened some stores in South Carolina, Iowa, Nebraska, Oklahoma and Virginia. And they moved to curbside pickup and online orders only last month. They're telling people they're taking measures to make sure that they're safe. Look, th- this is what needs to happen and really, in a lot of these states, this should have happened a few weeks ago. <clears throat> and I am very confident I can't predict the future, as you know. I don't pretend. A lot of people do. I don't pretend. Uh, but I, I am confident that we'll see that these states will do pretty well going forward. Remember this, too, though. And this has gotten lost in our, in our public policy proclamations from the experts, from the intelligentsia around this. Flatten the curve was never until the disease is gone. So it is built in. And I have been telling you this all along because I will speak the truth. Even when people are yelling that the truth means you want grandma to die for your stock market account. Right. Which is stupid. But people say these things. The truth is that there was always going to be a period in which we would have to take additional risk because of the systemic pressures on our economy and to keep our way of life going so we can feed ourselves so we can have medical facilities that operate and function to fight against this disease, shutting down the country until we had a miracle cure was never the plan. But some people started to think it was the plan or at least act like that was the plan. And this is a way of just reminding ourselves that there will be more cases. There will be more cases of COVID-19 as these states reopen. I don't think it's going to be what you would consider a, a huge spike in cases in any of these places, but we've, obviously already suffered terribly from this. You have about 50,000 dead today. That's the marker that everyone's looking at. Uh, And there are going to be more people who get sick. There are going to be more people who die. I mean, I pray every day that none of my loved ones or friends, you know, or, uh, or or myself, honestly, get some terrible version of this disease. We don't want anyone to get this terrible, terrible version of this disease, but all we can really do is our best and pray and, and hope. There is no future in which we don't have to deal with this at all. And a lot of you, your life is not really going to be that much affected by this once the state stops telling you, stay in your house, peasant. You can't go to your job. 
right? That's going to change. Uh, that, 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 when that changes, then you'll be able to pretty much do what you have been doing for the most part. It depends. Some states are worse hit than others. Georgia's allowing hair salons, bowling alleys, etc. to open today. Theaters and restaurants are opening next week. South Carolina's governor is allowing retail stores to resume operations this week at 20% of normal capacity or five people per 1,000 square feet, according to the Wall Street Journal here. You know, this is this is going to be interesting to see how long we actually extend this too, because if we don't see the um, the major spike in cases after this, at least not until the fall when we'll talk more about this. But what does the second wave look like? The pressure is going to be uh, very uh, the pressure is going to be very high to continue to drop off these mitigation measures. And then if we have a a big resurgence in the fall, we'll see. I mean, if our medical, I'm just going to say it, if our global medical community, when we are in what is effectively a world war against a virus, if our medical community can't come up with a a better treatment for this than what we've had so far, I think we're allowed to be really disappointed. Okay, I I think, you know, this is like what everybody around the world who has any medical background should be spending every waking moment thinking about trying to find a, and I'm talking about people that, are researchers that are looking for cures. I'm not talking about doctors and nurses who have to take care of patients, but I mean the medical research community, man, we've got to come up with something here, guys. Come on. This is becoming an existential threat to certain civilizations and ways of life around the world, largely because of our reaction to it, but not entirely. It's obviously a terrible disease. It's killing a lot of people. So we'll see how it goes in these, in these different states that are early... Uh, early among those that are reopening and it's going to make a a big difference to how quickly all the rest of this goes now this isn't that's an important story you also have the 484 billion dollar addition to the ppp so people paycheck protection program i think we should call it the p3 i don't know why no one listens to me there's probably another thing that's a p3 but we could call this one the p3 Um, so there's a there's a bunch of important news stories today but what do you think last night during the press conference uh, what do you think last night was the single most focused on part of, of everything? We got states reopening, huge congressional spending bill going through. We're spending trillions of dollars, unprecedented national emergency. Uh, you know, th- this is a little bit dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. I mean, that's this is the most I've ever been uh, close to that in my life. I mean, this is I think all of us would recognize. And what do you think they focus on? Trump kind of musing off the cuff and just trying to have a Trump moment here with one of the doctors. We'll, we'll get into this. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. A question that probably some of you are thinking of if you're totally into that world, which I find to be very interesting. So supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. We'll the right, folks right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute. 
one minute, and is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs, and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it would be interesting to check that, so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds, it sounds interesting to me. So we'll see. But the whole concept of the light, the way it kills it in one minute, that's uh, that's pretty powerful. All right. So the the news which came out last night during the press conference, the news was that the Department of Homeland Security had been running a series of tests on coronavirus, on actual coronavirus samples uh, using UV light. So mimicking sunlight and using um, heat and humidity. And it turns out that heat, humidity and ultraviolet rays kills the virus quickly. In some cases, very quickly, you know, like 30 seconds quickly. So this is a reminder of what all of us already knew, which is that sunlight and fresh air and being outside is not what the virus likes. The virus likes indoors, cool temperatures, and it probably likes, you know, central heating and air conditioning systems, too. But that's a conversation for another time. We don't know about that data, but I've, I've seen some some theories about how, you know, central centralized air systems, for example, probably not a good thing, uh, especially because the virus likes dry, cold air. What comes out of what comes out of uh, AC? What comes out of uh, heating and cooling units? Dry. Well, it's cold, obviously dry, cold air, uh, keeping it right at about 70 degrees, which is where the, the virus loves cold, dry air at, you know, 60, 70 degrees, 60 to 70 degrees. So. We, we saw all this science that says sunlight is, in fact, a disinfectant here for the virus. I wouldn't say it's the best disinfectant, quoting the Supreme Court justice, but it is a disinfectant. And uh, heat above a certain level and humidity above a certain level also kills the virus very quickly. So this means that going to a beach in Miami in 80 degree weather, unless someone like coughs or sneezes their virus in your face, you're, you're really because it, it can't really live on surfaces and it can't really live on the air. So what's the big risk? Now, I'm not saying there's no risk, but there's risk, again, to borrow from Al Pacino in heat. You get killed walking your doggy. You ever see that movie, Producer Mark? I have not. Oh, my God. I really just have to start saying yes so you don't rant. I, I think this. Producer Nick, I mean, you know, I, 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 he, he's probably as appalled as I am right now. We just had the heat like 25 year anniversary or something. All right, sorry. Right, I'm just gonna let it. I'm just gonna let it go for now. But I, you would actually really like it, so I'm just gonna put that out there. And it probably has the best gun battle ever, police versus bad guys gun battle ever uh, taped in a movie. It's that good. So I'm just gonna put that out there for you. Okay. Anyone who hasn't seen it this weekend, great movie to check out. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon Prime. It might even be on Netflix now. So the president then decided to do what he does sometimes where he, based on the science, he starts kind of being Trumpy. You know, he's like, he's like, hey, you know, maybe we could, uh, you know, we put it inside and we do the, you know, we, it'd be great. It'd be the best if we could kill the virus this way. He's doing his Trump thing. No one, th- he's, he's like, he's making conversation. This is how he talks. The media pretends like they still don't understand this. This is just how he talks. He's not making a proclamation He's not, uh, you know, trying to give people unsound medical advice. This is just Trump being Trump. And, you know, and they just, oh, man, they've all flipped out. Oh, Trump's telling people to drink 
Hand sanitizer. Trump wants people to shoot UV rays inside their bodies. There is a a trend among wellness advocates of um, sunning oneself where the sun don't shine, if you get my drift. And there's even a name for it, which I I don't even know. I I think it's anatomically correct, but I don't want to say it on the air because it's very it's rather explicit. But that's a real thing to get UV rays into the place where the sun don't shine. This is a thing. It's It's a trend among wellness experts. New York Post has reported on it. Uh, so anyway, they've all flipped out now because Trump said this thing. And this is ABC's Jonathan Carl, who Trump has really given a piece of his mind to recently, drilling down on whether Trump is saying bleach should be injected into human beings. Play six. The president mentioned the idea of cleaners, bleach, isopropyl alcohol, and mentioned uh, there's no scenario that could be injected into a person, is there? I mean, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here to talk about the fines that we had in the study. We don't do that within that lab, at our lab. So, okay. so, so how are we talking about almost a cleaning sterilization of an area? Right. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work, but it certainly has a big effect if it's on a stationary object. Does anyone really think that Trump is saying inject, inject cleaning fluid into, into your body? He was trying to say, you know, maybe with the UV findings, there'd be a way because you guys are medical wizards. You do the thing with the this and then that. We, I mean, everyone understands what he's what he's doing. He's not really giving anyone medical advice. He's just trying to, like, pat these guys on the back. It would be like if he brought up a bunch of Navy SEALs and, you know, they had just had a successful raid somewhere. And then as they were walking off stage, he was like, yeah, that's great. When you guys get like the, uh, you know. The grenade machine gun and you, you know, you, you get the bad guy with the good job, guys. You know, it's like, well, they're, they're not carrying grenade machine guns. But, you know, th- that's not the point. Right. That's not he's not trying to feign expertise here. Oh, this was the, I'm telling you, this was the bigger and producer Mark. Right. You saw this all over the place, too. People now are there's all these think pieces about whether Trump is telling people to inject themselves with rubbing alcohol. Yeah, I got a syringe and everything ready for myself because I thought that's what I had to do. Oh, Oh, man, it's it's amazing. And, you know, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton even even jumped on this bandwagon. I'm trying to see if I if I have it here. She jumped on this bandwagon too, uh, saying, you know, that, you know, don't don't do this. Don't listen to the president. No one with an IQ above a toaster thinks that the president is telling people to just go off on their own. And what are you going to you're going to find your UV ray gun and try to. Give yourself some UV and down the throat. I mean, it's, just, it's crazy. It's crazy. But they have lost their minds. And this is a way to attack Trump. And if it's a way to attack Trump, it must be worthwhile. So guess what they're doing? Using this to attack Trump. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. But they had to fill time with something beyond yeah. that ridiculous claim by the president that he wasted everybody's time with. And you saw yeah. Dr. Burks, Ron Fournier had the, the greatest tweet. Watch her soul slowly die. I'm nothing but respect. She was so disgusted for... with him. Ah, she was so disgusted with him. I mean, look, this, they're never going to give this up. They're never going to stop with this. We, can't, we, we cannot understand Donald Trump. We, we refuse... We refuse to uh, to speak Trump, even though the thing about 
Trump Trumpies is that everyone can speak or, you know, Trumpish. Everyone can speak it. Uh, everyone understands how he's trying to communicate. The only people who don't are pretending not to. All right. The guy was just he's you know, he's like excited about some science. The country's going through a pandemic. He speaks a lot off the cuff. Notice, though, the difference between the way they treat every utterance that Trump makes that's a little bit Trumpy. And, you know, with Joe Biden, who sounds like a person who's who's suffering from early stage dementia. Honestly, I mean, he really does. And they won't even talk about it. I mean, these people are out of their minds. They're not to be trusted. They're not honest. They're not ethical. And then they they just tisk tisk at all of us and look down their nose. Oh, how could you support Trump? How could you support Trump? How could you support the loon living in the basement who doesn't know anything and doesn't even know where he is? Oh, that guy's going to make everything so much better. But as we know, it's just all he's really going to be a puppet emperor if they if they manage to make him president. It's really just about the Democratic establishment, the DNC, the liberal media having someone who's a vessel for their wants and desires. There's no leadership. No one thinks Joe Biden. Joe Biden couldn't lead you to the cookie jar during a midnight snack. But here we are. Here we are. Nonetheless. Willie Geist. And, you know, I don't know Willie, but I know I know a little bit of, of, of his work. And he always seemed like a nice dude. I don't know. He's always seemed like a nice guy. But, you know, he, he's still I get like I guess he sits on the morning Joe panel and you know, around those two, you know, those two Remember those two who were super tight with Trump. They are the high school. This is like the mean girls in high school when the queen bee isn't nice to them anymore. And now they'll just never let it go. And the, and, and the mean girls in this case are Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski. They're like, eh, Trump is terrible. We hate him forever. Trump is the worst. Like we used to hang and be cool. And now we don't get to Ugh, destroying the country. <sighs> and then even Willie Geist is saying this stuff. Willie, like I said, I just know the man through his work. I don't know him personally, but I, I, I thought he was I thought he was better than this. Play one. Every moment that we spend on this deeply unserious, embarrassing conversation about injecting light and disinfectant into your body is a moment that we're not working on testing, a moment that we're not wor working on the fall. Because Dr. Fauci, despite the president's wishful thinking and basically every other public expert, you, public health expert you talk to says it's coming back in the fall. And by the way, the director of the CDC says, watch out for next winter. So it's not like this is going to disappear, as the president has said, it's going to be with us so what are we doing every moment of every day to fight it what are we doing every moment of every day to stop it from being as bad in the fall as it is now and if you're tying your doctors in knots with some weird crazy idea you have about injecting light into people's bodies you're wasting their time and you're putting the country at risk get serious no mr geist is wasting our time here no one thinks that the president's tying his doctors in knots with these theories People ask, and, and any doctor that you talk to will tell you this, because I've been one of the people that I think at different times, you get a little nervous about something. People ask dumbass questions to doctors and scientists all the time. Okay, this is not unusual. And the president, one of his, one of the reasons that he understands so many Americans and there's such a connection between him and so many Americans is because he's like a normal person. He does not speak like some politically trained robot. 
He's not sitting there, you know, I read the polls and this is what it tells me. He's like, look, I mean, you know, maybe you get the injection here, you do the light or something. He's just trying to say to people, are, oh, this is good news about the light and, the, you know, that there are ways clearly outdoors is better than being stuck inside, which also is a reminder to everybody, hey, maybe we should open up the parks. Maybe we should allow people to go to the beach. Maybe we, you know, don't you think? Oh, no, people aren't social distancing enough in parks with masks on. Are we all supposed to go to the park with a hazmat suit on? This is idiotic. Your chance of getting COVID from somebody who is not in physical touching distance of you on a warm, sunny day in a park based on the science or in a, on a beach, on a biking trail, on a hiking trail, out in an open street. On a warm, sunny day, your chance of just getting it unless someone comes up to you and coughs right into your face, is almost zero. But parks are shut down. Oh, we have, uh, we have the social distancing police running around. Citizens, you must disperse. You know, they got the drone here in New York. You must disperse. Social distancing. You know, my mask came down a little bit when I was, when I was at the grocery store. I know that's an indoor environment, but it just, like, came down a little bit for a second. Someone came running over. It was like, it was like I had spilled nuclear material on their floor. You know, it's like, excuse me, sir, don't drop your plutonium here. I'm like, oh, buddy, okay, it just, it just slipped down for a second. I'm, I'm putting it, I have a mask on, I'm putting it back up. You know, everyone here in New York is totally freaked out. But notice the, the media focus is in. L- last night, there was all this talk. And I, you know, what I do is I watch as much of the press conference as I can, but I've obviously got to do this show uh, and uh, where I have to do shows. And then the next day, I always read the full transcript. There's all this talk about everything that the president's doing. You know, Willie Geis is here saying, and look, he's just representative of, the, of this broader media moment where the president spends in an hour-long press conference, you know, 90% of the time, first of all, it's not even him speaking most of the time, or maybe it's about half 50-50 him and other people who are experts, but, but 90% of that press conference is, oh man, we're making so much progress on ventilators. Why don't you hear about ventilators anymore, folks? You notice that? Oh, it turns out that there's actually a lot of really good news there. The president promised that by harnessing the power of the American economy, this was Mike Pence, we would have 100,000 ventilators in 100 days. But thanks to the ingenuity and the hardworking Americans that I was with, this is, again, the vice president and other companies, we're actually going to have 110,000 ventilators in 100 days. Are we going to need 110,000 ventilators? No, probably not. Walmart is producing 8.4 million gowns and they'll be delivered into our commercial supply to healthcare facilities around the country. They're hardly alone. Honda's producing f- Honda is producing 500,000 face shields. New Balance is making 100,000 masks a week. I mean, the press conference is data, data, data. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Expert, expert, expert. But then Trump makes a kind of offhand, you know, just sort of stage left soliloquy a soliloquy almost just kind of like yeah hey, you know yeah you know maybe you get the virus with the thing and the this and the that and okay you know and now and now the press is like he's putting everyone in danger and they say this about hydroxychloroquine too which is an, an fda approved drug that's been around for 50 years he's putting everyone in danger do, do any of them have do they have even like a shred of integrity you know, there are things sometimes that Trump says or does that I'm like, oh, gosh, come on, man. You know, like it's not it's not perfect. I admit that there are things about him that I'm like, I, but I think overall, the guy's done a really good job as president. 
I'm with him on the agenda. I love the way he smacks around the media. It's absolutely deserved. What, do we really want to go back to the era of, of the Mitt Romney's of the Republican Party where they're like, oh, I'm sorry, New York Times, please stop beating me. No, I don't think so. But here we have a, a press conference that was full of information that's relevant. We have states reopening. We have a massive economic problem that we're trying to make sure does not effectively destroy our republic, which I don't think will happen. But those are really the parameters. Those are the risks. We have millions of people who are suffering terribly right now. Their jobs are gone. Their life's work can be gone. You know, a lot of these libs that go from journo school or some second or third tier liberal arts program, and then they end up showing up at, you know, CBS or ABC or CNN or something. They don't understand that for a lot of people, you know, they work an hourly job, a shift job for years, and then finally they save up enough money and maybe they're in a position to start a small business and the margins are small, but that could represent 10, 15, 20 years of work for somebody. And it's gone now. It's just gone in states in some cases where there are like a 300 people who have died from this virus when there are millions of people living in the state. There's real stuff going on. There's important stuff going on. There's tragic stuff going on. And we have to sit here. I mean, you're like, Buck, why are you talking about it? Because just stop watching these people. Don't believe them. Don't give them your attention. For some reason, there are still, you know, like, I think it's 8 million people a day watching that, that, uh, you know, glorified male model who's on ABC News tonight. No one's ever seen the guy except on that show. There's a reason for that, folks. Because they don't want him to be sitting in an interview. They're like, well, I don't actually have any thoughts, but I look really good on camera. You know, I don't know. Who's that? Muir? Is it Muir? Is that his name? Right? Muir. I mean, I'm not pretending to not know his name. I just get the different channels confused. Pretending you don't know someone's name when you do, by the way, isn't that the most pathetic and absurd thing? Isn't that just like a, a, a ridiculous thing that only a deeply insecure person who's dishonest would do? Um, so anyway, I just... Uh, I, I sit here and, and I, I have to smack down the falsehoods because they drive me nuts because we, I wish the same way that I have said to you and people were just spitting their coffee out when I said it, hopefully black rifle coffee because it's delicious and don't spit it out, drink it all. Um, but, you know, I, I sit there and, and I, I say like de Blasio, I wish he was the second coming of Winston Churchill. And I know everyone laughs because he's horrible. I mean, he's whatever, <laughs> you know, he's, he is the opposite of Winston Churchill. But you know, I also wish that we had a news media that was really just they, they, they just for now could put aside how much they hate Trump and just focus on bringing the best information to the American people possible and really focusing, really focusing on the science and, and the data and, and keeping everybody calm but informed. You know, go back to what they at least pretended to be in the pre-Internet days. Which there were libs and they were being dishonest there, too, but at least there was that they were better at hiding it. Um, but no, they've actually gotten worse. They've, they've gotten worse during this whole period, which is remarkable because they were terrible before we entered the pandemic. And somehow they've been You're able in to the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Uh, I've spoken to Mitch about it. I've spoken to numerous senators about it. And we're working with uh, senators that are on the other side of the issue. And we'll see what happens. But we're looking to do what's right for the people of this country. We're looking to do what's right for a particular state. 
and we'll see what happens. But it's certainly the next thing we're going to be discussing because some states have, in all fairness, John, some states have not done very well for many years. I'm open to ideas that are going to be great for the people of this country. And if we can help states, we're always going to help states. Now, there's different ways of helping states. Some ways are better than others. So we're looking. Uh, it is interesting that the states that are in trouble do happen to be blue. It is interesting. You know, if you look around, I mean, the states that seem to have the problem happen to be Democrats. It is interesting. That's that's true. A few layers here, a few different things going on with what the president's talking about. First is is that this is largely in reaction to the back and forth between Senator Mitch McConnell and Governor Andrew Cuomo here in New York. Mitch McConnell, obviously, of Kentucky. Mitch McConnell. I think cocaine Mitch been doing a good job. I think Mitch McConnell has, uh, has cemented his legacy just merely by um, making sure that the lean, mean judge confirmation machine just keeps on going. So Mitch McConnell, I, I got a lot of good things to say about Mitch and not a lot of bad things, not lately. Um, but he and Cuomo uh, have this back and forth because Mitch McConnell's like, maybe, maybe the states should be able to go bankrupt uh, because here's what's happening. There's, the, there's a huge difference that needs to be established. There, there's the losses incurred. Just like if you're running a business with 10 employees and they're saying, okay, we're going to give you money. Show us your payroll from a month ago, right? Don't show us your payroll in the future. Uh, we'll, we'll reimburse you. That's the Paycheck Protection Program based on what your expenses actually are. We should think about states that have been hit really hard. This, I know some of you aren't going to like this, but this is true. States that have been hit really hard, like New York, um, Florida, I don't think, has been hit. Well, a lot of states are going to have a really rough time with their budget, even if they didn't get hit that badly by the virus. But shutdowns directly related to the virus and the economic impact of that, you know, that that's something that's at least there's a real discussion to be had about federal assistance, federal financial assistance there. But the problem, and everyone sees this, is that these states, the blue states, run enormous, enormous yearly deficits. Right. States like New York, uh, I was going to say Chicago, which is basically is the Illinois deficit. But in Illinois, because of Chicago, they're running so deep in the red and they've built up billions and billions of dollars of debt. And then the liabilities they have in it's the liabilities are very straightforward, folks. It's not because they're doing so much great stuff for you. It is public sector union payoffs. And the, uh, the big one is the teachers union in these states, in these Democrat strongholds, a huge source of political and financial. Well, those things are tied together, obviously. Muscle. It's a it's it's really the the engine room of the Democratic Party these days is the teachers unions in a lot of these states. It's an enormous source of funding and political support and indoctrination of kids. We're going to talk later on the show uh, about homeschooling in this article because a lot of people are homeschooling now because they have to so everyone's getting a little bit of a homeschool experience going on here or at least a lot of people are I'm, i think pretty much everyone who's got a kid at home has to be doing some version of homeschooling maybe not that well but others are doing very well with it and they really like it and the establishment is really unsettled by it but that's again that's coming later on in the show um, but here's what can't be allowed to happen i think this is what mitch mcconnell was going for we can't have a bailout of Democrat blue states for what they've been doing for the debts they've been accruing for the last 20 or 30 years. That that cannot be allowed to happen. The states have to live in the beds that they have made, so to speak, with that stuff. What's happened in the last few months or this quarter, there's going to need to be some help. 
there's going to need to be some help. But what has been the reality of these states for a long time? No, no, we're not going to socialize the losses of the Chicago Teachers Union across the entire country. We're not going to do that. They want that to happen. And given the amount of money that's out there right now, can't you see, think of the think of the appeal here? Think of the political opportunity. What's what's a, you know what's ten billion dollars to pay off the teachers union in New York City when you got five hundred billion dollars changing hands and no one even really knows what's in it, and you got more money coming out soon, and now you got an infrastructure package coming out there saying, I mean, we're spending trillions, like you know. Producer Mark buying buying drinks for everybody at the bar. It's like everything's on the house, right, Producer Mark? Absolutely not. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I respect people's ability and right to dissent, but what we need to make sure every one of us does is observe the CDC best practices so we are not unwittingly spreading COVID-19. The worst irony that could come about from these demonstrations is that they forced us to stay in this posture longer than longer than we we're already planning to. It's the last thing any of us wants. Governor Whitmer of Michigan telling folks, if you have a problem with my dictates, like you're not allowed to go from one house to the other that you happen to own, uh, you're forcing us to, to stay in longer. So the quarantine extending is your fault if you have a problem with what is really house arrest and not quarantine in the first place. Matt Walsh is with us now. He is the host of the Matt Walsh Show and also a senior writer at The Daily Wire. Mr. Walsh, thanks for making the time. Hey, Buck. Thanks for having me. So you have uh, separated yourself from many others uh, online by being willing to ask questions about this and to actually criticize the lockdown where do you think we are now as a nation which is different from how it might feel for people here in new york as a nation at this stage of this lockdown what are your thoughts well i think that uh, i mean look no, no rational person denies that it's it's been it's been very bad to put it mildly um you know, many many people have died it's 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 obviously a serious issue as i as i have never denied and uh, i think most of the people that are criticizing the lockdown don't don't deny that but despite how we're how we're portrayed as, as being, uh, you know, deniers, or virus deniers, or whatever the, the stupid phrase is that's being used. So it's obviously a bad situation. But at the, at the same time, um, we're we're in the middle of an economic crash, and you know, we're looking at 30 million unemployed by next week. By the time the numbers come out next week, many more than 30 million. Um, uh, on top of uh, of the of the d- destruction of our civil liberties and basically the, the effective suspension of the Bill of Rights across the country. And so I think I think we can officially look at this and say that the uh, as as the saying goes, you know, the the, the cure has been worse than the disease. And I'm also not convinced, and based on the data that I've read and, and based on what we're hearing from the so-called experts, um, I'm not convinced that in fact we we have saved any lives in the long run by these lockdowns. Because unless we're going to stay locked down until there's a until there's a vaccine, if there is even a vaccine, but unless we're going to stay locked down, unless we're prepared to do this for a year or two years or three years or whatever, however long it takes, we're going to have to go back out into the world at some point when the virus is still there. Not only still there, but the virus is going to be, when we emerge back into the world, whenever that is, the virus is not only going to still be there, but it's going to be more prevalent and more widely spread than it was when we went in. So uh, we're going to have to face that eventually, and now we're going to face it with a destroyed economy, whereas before maybe we could have faced it 
with a still healthy economy. And I just don't see how that is a, a better situation for us. What do you think of the president's decision to allow it to be left up to the states, but then the president also seems to suggest that it is also his decision at the same time, which I feel like he's giving himself a little bit of the worst of both worlds. Yeah, I think the, the listen, if you feel like if anybody wants uh, someone to to defend the White House's approach to this entire thing, I'm, I'm not the guy for that. Uh, I think his communication on this throughout, throughout has been pretty abysmal. Uh, he, he seems to change his mind almost by the day. I mean, you, you look at uh, he, he was he was talking last week about we're going to open up the states, we're going to do it in a in a thoughtful and considered way through phases. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm with that. I mean, I, I I actually don't think that we need to take as long as what he proposed. But then uh, but then the next day he was all all caps tweeting liberate the states right, and so and then and then Georgia says okay let's liberate, and then he says no that's too soon. So uh, to me it to me it's confusing, and uh, I do think he's kind of doing the worst of both worlds for him to come out and say well I, I could open the states if i want to of course that's not true first of all there's no reason to say because it it's not true he can't he doesn't have the power to just open the states on his own but now um he, he, he he's now taking ownership of whatever happens and uh it, the economic collapse and everything yeah. all, all i mean the there are, yeah there are some faulty arguments out there that i've heard some conservatives make about the interstate commerce clause means that the president can just dictate to the states but that's actually a progressive argument that has been used to uh violate and distort the constitution federal law for a long time so i certainly wouldn't want to see Trump do that. Uh, when do you think though? I mean, we, were, we came in with Governor Whitmer, in Michigan. That we, we you know, look, we've we've had w- mothers being arrested in front of their kids for playing in a park. Even though now we find out that air and sunlight and uh, humidity are actually killing the virus. Uh, we've seen all kinds of of petty abuses of power. Uh, do you do you think that we're going to head to a point where people are just going to have to non-comply, or are most state governments going to figure out that we ha- we we have a limit with this? I think we, are, we already are seeing at least the, the mobilization, the protests in certain states, like in Michigan, and I think that's very encouraging. Very encouraging sign, in my view. Uh, there, there's there's a, there's a limit. You you can't expect you can't you can't lie. You just can't. That, that's the other problem with the lockdowns. Anyone who wants to extend the lockdowns for months for months on end, you can't do it. People aren't going to do that. They're not going to stay locked in their home that long, especially in the United States of America. You know, we we still do cherish our freedoms. I think probably not as much as we should, but we still do cherish them. So it's just not going to work, and this and this stuff that we're hearing now about um, about how, as you mentioned, the sunlight and, and air being a, a good way to slow the transmission of the virus. Now, I, I, it, it's good that we're now getting good data on that, but I think any any rational, logical person knew all along that obviously it's better to be outside in the sun uh, than to be cramped up inside with recycled, recirculated air where you're in close quarters with people. So all this all this freaking out and panicking people are doing over, for example, people going to the beach in Florida. Uh, you know, I've been saying all along, it seems to me that the beach is probably the safest possible place to be, as long as you're not right up on top of other people. But if you're giving yourself a little bit of distance, you're on the beach, you're in the sun, there's a lot of wind and air circulation. Uh, it, it seems like a pretty safe place to be, and, and, and certainly better than being you know, um, potentially locked in a home. Yeah, home I just <laughs> on that beach thing, I remember people were saying, oh, all these spring breakers came back with COVID-19. And I don't want to be that guy. But, you know, and Matt, you don't strike me as somebody who went too wild on spring break. I don't know. But I remember spring break. And uh, it's not the long walks on the beach that might get people to give each other COVID-19. Yeah, exactly. I had the same thought. I mean, what, how do you think these, these kids were transmitting it? It, was, the way, it, uh, it wasn't parasailing. I can tell everybody that. 
Right, right. And I mean, yeah, exactly. And and uh, and I don't think it was just tossing the frisbee around either. But um, even with that, I mean, there, there, from what I read, there there weren't that many spring breakers no. that came back with the virus. No, just a, and, a few uh, dozen, I think, was what I saw. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I actually thought that was kind of encouraging, considering this was in the, in the early days of the outbreak, and this is spring break, and people are pretty close and intimate with each other. We'll just leave it at that. Um, and for it not to spread wildly uh, and out of control, I think this was kind of a good sign. Although it, it also tells us that we already knew, we know this, that younger people are not as affected by it, which is why it never made sense to me. Look, younger people are not as affected by it. It's not as fatal for them. They're not as likely to transmit it. That's what the data tells us. Um, it, we also know that younger, healthy people, they're, they're the primary ones in the workforce, especially in so many service jobs that are being decimated right now. So, you know, and, and meanwhile, you've got older people who are most susceptible to it. Many of them are retired anyway or in nursing homes. So we had everybody stay home. I mean, why not have the people stay home who were probably staying home anyway because they're not working? And then let the people, most of whom are, are in the less susceptible groups, go to work. It's just it didn't, the strategy doesn't make any sense. Yeah, which is close to what Sweden has done, which everyone was saying. I, mean, I remember people were saying Sweden's going to learn the hard way. They're heading for disaster. And I was like, well, let's see. And we've seen, and it actually is not a disaster, and now their top epidemiologist for Stockholm is saying that they think they're going to be at herd immunity in a matter of weeks. But, Matt, before, before we go, I just want one more for you. Um, you're, you're a Catholic. I'm a Catholic. I, I watched Easter service on Sunday. Just we can't do that. I mean, we can't actually go to Mass. We can't uh, celebrate the Eucharist in that way. Just what have you been doing? Yeah, well, the same thing as everybody else. I mean, we've been watching. We've been live streaming the, the services um, on Sunday. And it, it's nice that we're able to do that, you know, these days, but I don't consider it a substitute uh, for the real thing. And I, I am a little concerned. We know the church attendance is already dwindling considerably in this country for many decades. I'm wondering if this is going to be the nail in the coffin for a lot of churches because, number one, they've, they've been going without donations for a month now or more. And number two, I think, are there going to be more people who say, well, you know, we could just, it, apparently you can just stay home and sit on your couch and watch it anyway. There's no point in going back. Uh, so that's another aspect of this that I'm worried about. Yeah, so, the, the, I mean, the virtual Eucharist is not getting it done for you. Not not quite. It's uh, Yeah, like I said, it's not, not, not quite as good as the real, the real in-person experience. Matt Walsh, everybody, check out his show, The Matt Walsh Show, which you can download on podcast, also writing at thedailywire.com. Uh, Matt, all the best to you and yours. Thanks so much for joining us. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I think we will uh, we will come up with things as time goes by. Again, when I started, we ended up we, we started with nothing, essentially what we started with a broken test, a test that didn't work. We started with a test that did very few people, not millions of people. The problem is if we did 350, if we did 350 million tests, one for each person, the media would say, oh, you should have done two for each person. No matter what you do, it doesn't make any difference. Now, I know people are going to say that Trump's just being a wise guy here, but what he's saying is true. The tests really are only valid. Uh, you know, if, if you wanted them to be valid, you'd have to test people every couple of weeks. I mean, they're, they're a useful diagnostic tool. They are not the silver bullet against the coronavirus. And the media keeps talking about them because it's a way of sounding like you have a real idea, sounding like you have a legitimate ground of criticism against the president uh, when, as we know, the states are very much once again involved in testing. And ultimately, there's no such thing 
as a perfect testing system. Now, now this is where you have a little bit of a back and forth between Fauci and Trump. Here's what Dr. Fauci says about this, plane nine. We absolutely need to significantly ramp up not only the number of tests, but the capacity to actually perform them so that you don't have a situation where you have a test, but it can't be done because there's not a swab or not an extraction media or not the right vial. All of those things got to be in place. I am not overly confident right now at all that we have what it takes to do that. We're getting better and better at it as the weeks go by, but we are not in a situation where we say we're exactly where we want to be with regard to testing. I think anybody that has any realistic evaluation of what's going on in the trenches will tell you, again, we're doing better, and I think we're going to get there, but we're not there yet. What is there? I don't see the press really asking that question of Dr. Fauci. We have what about test and trace? Think of the constitutional issues that will come up with finding out where people have been, where they've gone, who they've talked to. This is now going to be a, a function of, of the state. This is something that we're going to expect people, uh, people to just be okay with, that they're going to know where you've gone. They're going to know who you've talked to and everything that you've done. Uh, I, I would think that everybody would recognize the very clear constitutional issues in all of this. I, I would think that, uh, you know, they would recognize this. But, you know, right now we're all so scared and everyone's so on their back feet about this. Um, we'll have to see. Uh, contract tracing for certain things, STDs, TB, those have been effective in the past. But those are much less readily and surprisingly spread than this, right? I mean, especially STDs. You know how STDs are spread. Um, but there's also some interesting theories about whether epidemics die out over time just because, and, and there's no real answers about why it happens, you know? Why did the Spanish flu of 1918 go away? Enough people were infected that we had global herd immunity? It's one, one explanation, sure. Why did SARS go away? There are, there are theories. I'm not saying we have no, but there's not absolute proof on these things. There's so much still that we don't know epidemiologically about, well, a lot of things, but certainly about this, this COVID-19 disease and the testing capability argument. I just feel like when, when are we there and how good are we supposed to expect that to be considering that we were really led to believe that if we did the whole lockdown uh, hasn't the lockdown suppressed the virus? If the lockdown works the way we're told it does, and this has a two-week incubation period, shouldn't the, shouldn't the new new infections have essentially ground to a halt in most places? I mean, are, are people really walking around still? I mean, if they've been home and isolated for two weeks, are they still? How could they still be infecting people? I, I just I'm wondering. This all seems like it doesn't really add up or make sense. Yeah, I know there's essential workers and people can still get infected in hospitals and there's ways that it could happen. But how would a major spike happen? We don't have any large gatherings of people. We've had we've had now over a month of lockdown and the incubation period for this isn't supposed to be longer. I haven't seen anything that says it's longer than a month. I, I Again, maybe that will change. But the. 
the testing capability. So if we have, let's say we all had, I mean, I'm really trying to think through this with all of you. Let's say we all had rapid tests where, you know, producer Mark or I could just go home and, uh oh, I got a cough. I think I might have COVID-19, you know, bloop. I take a saliva sample. I put it, you know, I do the thing and the this and the that. I put it in a little solution. And within 15 minutes, it tells me if I have COVID-19 or not. So is the idea that everybody in the country is going to have that and do that? What about asymptomatic carriers? Because then once we start to reopen, I could be an asymptomatic carrier. So I have no reason to take the test. Am I going to take a test every two weeks? So if I'm an asymptomatic carrier and we start reopening and I start going into workplaces and I take some uh, take some basic precautions, but let's say I still don't realize it and you know my, I cough on my hand, you know, all the ways that we hear about how this is spread, and I give it to a few people and they give it to a few people and they're asymptomatic for a couple of weeks. I mean, how much testing do we really need? How much testing? And I, I'm not as sometimes I ask questions that I know the answers to here. It feels like I, I don't know the answer, but I'm also not sure anybody really knows the answer. And this has become an easy fallback because experts want to believe that they know what to do. And, and there's so much that they don't know. They, they know to tell us to do certain things that we don't want to do. But when we ask them for real answers about other things, they don't have them for us. And I think it's fair to ask, well, how long is that supposed to continue like that? How long is that supposed to be the case? Um, and we just accept this. Trump says he does not agree with Fauci on this. Play um, 10. Again, testing, we're doing very well on testing. Uh, we've tested far more than anybody else anywhere in the world. And within a short period of time, you'll be hearing about new tests that are coming out that are going to be incredible. See, Dr. Uh, Fauci, that we're just not there uh, yet. No, I don't agree with him on that. No, I think we're doing a great job on testing. I don't agree. If he said that, I don't agree with him. Yes. Now, they're going to make a big thing of that. But what he's saying is, no, we're doing a great job. Fauci's saying we're not yet at the perfect place that I want us to be in before we go out into society. There's really not a lot of daylight between them on that. But the media will make a big thing of it because that is what they do. You know, a lot of you have kids, a lot of you have kids at home, and uh, you're probably dealing with schooling them. And since you're home, I believe it is called homeschooling. Well, there is already a bit of a backlash from the establishment. While you have no choice but to homeschool children who are stuck at home with you, if you're going to school them at all, the establishment doesn't want you to get too cozy with this. They don't want you to think that this is a viable option. And there are some out there who are, who are already taking a very... Um, all all systems go on the attack approach to homeschooling, including from the elite echelons, the ivory tower of Harvard University. We'll get into that. Stay with me. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, because we're on national lockdown, a lot of people are homeschooling. If you have kids, you're homeschooling. So... That's what's going on right now. People are getting a taste of something that has been going on in this country for a while and growing over time. And no big surprise, the establishment's got big problems with it. We have an education expert with us now. Inez Felcher-Stepman joins us. Uh, she's a policy expert on education. She writes for The Federalist. She's all over the place. Inez, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Buck. It's always great to be here. Okay, so let's just start with with the reason that this got some attention on the media radar for folks like me was this uh, piece written. What was in the Harvard uh, Harvard Magazine, Harvard University Magazine about homeschooling, and and it's a it's essentially just trashing homeschooling, right? Like homeschooling is 
Here, I, I have a I have a quote that I can I can read to you from it because I thought it was so it was so wow and and unbelievably out of touch. It's condescension. The whole article is just spectacularly elitist. But yes, go yeah. ahead. The issue is: Do we think that parents? This is the quote. Do we think that parents should have twenty four seven essentially authoritarian control over their children from ages zero to eighteen? I think that's dangerous. I think it's always dangerous to put powerful people in charge of the powerless and to give the powerful ones total authority. She's talking about parents. <laughs> it's amazing. It's it's Marxism for the family. Um, <laughs> to put it in the in the oppressed versus the the powerful um, frame is ridiculous. Of course, that's very much contrary to our own constitutional tradition, uh, which re- recognizes a parent's right to choose. Um, their their children's uh, schooling, among many other things that uh, parents decisions parents make for children, like medical decisions. Um, you know, our our entire system recognizes the fact that parents should be the ones making decisions for their minor children, with very very rare exceptions aside, when when the state can prove abuse, for example. Um, but she really she makes three claims right um, in this piece. She says that um, homeschoolers, first of all that they they expose their kids to higher levels of abuse, that is debunked by research, right? It's actually uh, public school kids who are exposed uh, to higher levels of abuse abuse than homeschool kids, even though, of course, it can happen anywhere and it's terrible. Um, But there's no evidence that homeschooling increases uh, the risk of children um, being abused. And second, she says somehow that that, um, kids are going to, to academically not be prepared for life well, the evidence that we have shows that homeschoolers get higher SAT scores, they get higher ACT scores, they come into college more prepared, right? Of course, it's hard to do a true study because you don't really have a blind control group. Um, but the evidence we have shows that homeschoolers are better educated and more academically advanced than their, their public school peers. And third, she makes, I think, the crux, the heart of, of what she really wants to say, even though she kind of dances around it, which is, these, these homeschoolers are just not teaching what she thinks mm. um, their kids ought to learn. And um, she, she pokes that in a, a, some things about tolerance. She says, oh, if they don't go to public school, how will they learn to tolerate people who are different from them? Well, even there, the evidence we have shows that homeschoolers and kids who go to private school through school choice programs, by the way, actually in surveys are more likely to say that those who are different than them deserve uh, civil liberties, deserve natural rights. So again, they are more tolerant than kids in public school, according to the research. So the research says she's wrong on all three counts. And I think all of that was just window dressing to, she, she wants to replace what those, uh, those yokel parents are teaching their kids, you know, about the constitution and the Bible. And I, I thought that one of the, the most memorable and, and in, a, in a bad way for the people writing the article and making the argument was the graphic that they had that showed the homeschool kid stuck inside a house, which is really made to be uh, something of, of a prison. And there's all these other kids running around outside in the sunshine. This is hilarious. I live right next to a very large, very poorly performing public school. And there aren't kids running around outside in beautiful sunshine and fields. There are kids locked in what do look a bit like Penal colony cells. I mean, it's not a particularly nice, fancy place. My friend Michael Malice, who I think you know as well, often says, and he's unrepentant on this. He's just like public schools are dressed up jails for children. That's what he called. I mean, he, he thinks that the, 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 the process of putting people under force of law into these facilities for seven hours a day on a schedule that's really based on 
adults needing to be somewhere and get paid. It's really not what's best for the kids. As you see, a lot of schools, you know, are starting, what, 8, 30, 9 o'clock in the morning. People say the kids should probably be able to sleep in even later than that. So what what evidence is there on the behavioral side? I mean, I'm just curious. Do we do we ever do we even have any data on homeschoolers in terms of, uh, you know, drug abuse, uh, incarceration rates, anything like that? Because the suggestion seems to be, well, if you stay at home, with your family, you're at some greater risk somehow, or, or you're stuck in a prison. Look, all, all the evidence shows that homeschoolers um, outperform public school kids on a whole variety of metrics. But again, I do want to put the asterisk on that. It, it's a very um, you know sno- small percentage of kids that are homeschooled. It is uh, about 2 million ho- kids who have been homeschooled before this current crisis. So it's not you know zero kids, but um, it is such a, a unusual lifestyle choice for a lot of families that to get good data and it might be that like super educated families or super dedicated families are are pulling their kids out of school but what but that that vision that this harvard professor has of homeschooling is very very old the way she thinks about it is primarily religious there are a lot of religious families homeschooling there are also a lot of secular families that are homeschooling because they're not happy about what you call the prisons of the public schools they're not happy um with the academic performance of the public schools and um, they're not happy also with the behavioral influence of the public schools. Um, what we do know, I don't know about homeschooling in particular, but we do know that, um, for example, private schools and, and charter schools have lower levels of, um, of, of violence within the schools, right? So there's a lot of parents who are making these decisions for safety reasons. Um, but, but look, at the end of the day, this is, I don't, I don't think this current crisis is going to result in, in a huge explosion in homeschool numbers. I think most par- parents still want to send their kids to a brick-and-mortar school, and that's fine. Those schools do serve as a certain amount of community glue. They do let kids meet each other, they let families meet each other. Um, but I, I hope that this crisis, the silver lining of it, will be that, that parents will review what their kids are learning because it can be remarkably hard. Uh, you'd be surprised how hard it is to actually get a hold of a curriculum in a lot of public schools in the United States. And and I hope that parents, this will help culturally recenter parents. I hope that this crisis pushes us back in the direction that America traditionally has gone and, and in the opposite direction of this Harvard article, which is to recenter parents as the primary educators of their children, even if they then decide to hire a school or a tutor or a combination of things, or they decide to do it at home to educate their children at home as homeschoolers, that whatever way they choose to do that, they are in the driver's seat and not the state, not the bureaucracy, you know, not the principal, but parents are in the driver's seat of their kids' education. And I, I, I think that that there's a chance that, that this recenters that old American principle. So it sounds like you're not necessarily uh, predicting that there'll be a big surge, although I, I guess, you know, I, I always say no one can predict the future, but you're saying that, you know, just... It doesn't look like there'll be a huge surge in permanent homeschooling. Clearly, there's a lot of homeschooling going on now that wasn't before. Do we have any sense of, um, you know, w- ways that people may try to bring more homeschooling into the way that they're, I mean, you mentioned tutors and things like that and, and, and a greater degree of autonomy for families. Do you think that the, there's going to be a lot more efforts to do supplementary telelearning, uh, you know, to use these. I, I, I'm just wondering, I'm not a parent, right? And I've never, I've never dealt with kids. So in this way, so I don't really, I can't speak from any first person perspective on this, but I would just wonder if now that parents are at least being forced to, to see a little bit more of what their kids are or are not learning, maybe they decide that, 
you know what's great would be to send my if I'm going to send the kid to a public or charter or a, a parochial school or private school, whatever it may be. But I'm also going to make sure they're getting something else that we can do at home, not necessarily being taught by the parent, but programs online. I mean, online learning is incredible. People are figuring this out now. Um, I, I think the same thing about the online learning as I think about homeschooling, which is um, now that everybody's trying it, a certain percentage of people will find out that they really like it. Um, and I think especially parents uh, with kids uh, who have difficulty uh, with the social environment of schools for whatever reason, maybe they're being viciously bullied at school, uh, maybe they have uh, special needs and they're having a really hard time, as many families do, enforcing the so-called IEP, individualized learning plan. Um, for their kids' special needs with the school, I think some of those families especially might make the decision that, hey, you know, this is this is better than than what my kid has, has gotten before at the public school. Um, I, I don't see this going huge and widespread simply because um, schools do function as childcare for a lot of dual-income households. We're finding that out right now, and every time Andrew Cuomo briefs, uh, briefs us on the coronavirus, right? He has to say, you can't really open the economy without opening the schools because parents need to somewhere to put their children. No, that's not education, right? That's just the childcare function of the schools. But but anyway, either, either way, even if they're happy with how their public schools are educating their kids, I hope that this time will be a, a chance to recenter exactly that, that decision-making process at home. Um, and, and just one more note, this is not really homeschooling, what's happening right now, right? If you talk to actual homeschoolers, they'll say, no, 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 this is, this is a ball of stress. This is not um, what we've been doing. Uh, so, I mean, most homeschoolers, they, they have co-ops, they go to activities outside with other homeschoolers, they're, they're swapping ideas, swapping curriculum. It's not a sudden, you're stuck at home, you're trying to do worksheets um, and stuff online. I think that's a lot of the things that parents are really frustrated with right now um, that's not really homeschooling. In homeschooling, um, you have a lot more preparation going into it, and you have a lot more external activities and, and communication with other people. This isolation during this pandemic is not really homeschooling. So I, I just want to be clear about that. Is your adorable pug within eyeshot right now? And if so, do we get to pull him up so those who can see him on Skype will get a? <laughs> is he nearby? Let's see how messy. If he's not, I, I know, I know the hubs is nearby, but there he is for those. I know on radio and podcast, you can't, but she just showed, he's got a pug. What, what's his name again? He's great. He's great. His name is Thor. Thor, the pug. And also everyone say hi to yeah. Jar Jarrett's in the other room studying and working hard, but Jared is, uh, Inez's uh, husband and, and a friend of mine. And we'll have him on the show next week. But man, the pug, I guess say that's a very distinguished pug with the gray on the face. He's cute. Yeah. He's a, uh, he's a pug. He's half beagle, half half pug and um i've never seen another one that's black and white like he is he's just kind of like he gets a lot of boston terrier uh yes. yeah i have one of those growing up uh, and where should people go to read your latest and uh, what are you working on um sure so uh either at iwf.org or or the federalist um and actually i have a piece out of the federalist uh, related to you know we're all sponsoring this lady to uh, write her her um, uh, uninformed opinions about high, ho uh, homeschooling at Harvard. So um, I have a piece up about how we shouldn't be giving more money to universities, especially during this time where there are so many Americans hurting. Universities should definitely not be at the front of the line for the bailout like they were uh, in the CARES Act. So. All righty. Inez Felcher-Stebman, thank you so much. Great to talk to you, Inez. It's good to see you, bud. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. When Donald Trump says he doesn't want vote by mail, 
He says it despite the fact that he has used it himself. And he dislikes it despite the fact there is no evidence of fraud. We have had this form of voting for decades. The challenge that he sees is that it will increase the likelihood of those who are confined to home actually using that time to participate in the election. And any time a leader is afraid of people speaking their minds and making their selections, he is illegitimate and should not hold office. Illegitimate, Stacey Abrams says about the current sitting president. Illegitimate. Wow. This is the dominant Democrat line, though. Remember that, that she uh, that she is now saying that this is what you will hear from people. And you'll continue to hear that this president was really never the president. He's a fake. He's a pretender to the throne, so to speak. And we're going to get into this argument, continue to get into this argument over vote by vote by mail. Here's what she's really referring to. Usually, yes, you can vote absentee. We all know that in most states, absentee ballots don't even don't even get counted unless it's a really, really close election. So as a means of trying to cheat, it's it's not a good one because chances are your absentee ballot will not matter in the now in Florida and back in 2000. There have been instances where they do matter. But generally speaking, absentee ballots, you're casting your vote, but they won't. The election will be called and it will be done before they ever even get to it. So that that changes if all of a sudden everyone's doing vote by mail. And what what the Democrats really want to do is have ballot harvesting. Now, ballot harvesting just means that you can have one person who goes around and collects from everybody who's going to, you know, at least ostensibly everyone who's going to be voting, collects their their vote for them and then brings it all to a polling place. But that means that there's no there's no physical presence for any person having to show up at a polling place and present themselves as the voter. Forget it. So forget about voter ID. There's the ID. How you get ID? You know, no one's going to do this. Oh, yeah, you're going to trust the person doing the ballot harvesting the ID? I don't think so. H- how could you think about it this way? How could you even begin to prove that anybody, that, that there was fraud in this, in this case if somebody can just go around and pick up empty ballots for the, for the uh, presidential race? Uh, and and fill them out and bring them in. How would you ever know? Who, who's gonna who's gonna be able to blow the whistle on it? What 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 uh, theory? And keep in mind that this would happen. Uh, this would happen nationwide. What would be the theory of the case on that one? There's just simply no way that it could be proven one way or the other. I mean, without e- e- extensive resources and investigation, that we all know, simply is not going to happen. But the Democrats, once again, they 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 don't care. They don't care. Um, They view, remember, the president is illegitimate. That's an important data point in this conversation because what they're really saying in this in part is that the president is illegitimate and therefore if they have to use, this is a they fight fire with fire situation. If they have to use illicit, illegitimate means to defeat an evil president who should not be president, they're fine with that. They're fine with it. The uh, the Steele dossier, which I'll be talking to you a little bit more about, for example, the Steele dossier is completely a fraud. I mean, now now it's become clear. Remember, that was used for the Russia collusion hoax. And this was Christopher Steele, MI6, knows everybody in Russia, so slick. Everyone believes him. Now they're pushing him for, OK, we, we want to know, you know, what where are your original communications and source documents about this? He's like, oh, they're all gone. Oh, they're all gone. So 
There's nothing there. Isn't that convenient? He could make he did make up whatever he wanted, just collect a bunch of rumors and have no verification of it whatsoever. It's all lies. It's all crap. And they tried to take down a president with this. My friends, the mainstream media, they are the king of lies. Don't ever forget that. And what they're willing to do and what they're willing to support in the election this fall is going to blow your mind. And if we don't stop them, there's nothing that would benefit them that they won't do. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we got some new information on the president's comments that got so much media attention. Uh, somebody in the uh, reporter scrum today got this and, and is sharing this ever. The president saying, come on, I was being sarcastic. I was asking a question sarcastically to reporters like you just to see what would happen. Now, disinfectant for doing this, maybe on the hands, would work. And I was asking the question of the gentleman who was there yesterday, Bill, because when they say that something will last three or four hours or six hours, but if the sun is out or if they use disinfectant, it goes away in less than a minute. Did you hear about this yesterday? But I was asking a sarcastic and a very sarcastic question to the reporters in the room. Trump saying he was sarcastic. There we go. There we go. We got our answer now. Producer Mark, you are somebody who is familiar with sarcasm. Do you think that that is a sufficient answer for the president's injection of whatever it was side commentary? I mean, it is expert, an expert way of getting out of it. There we I go. Will say that. There we go. I mean, I don't think he really thought anybody was going to inject themselves with isopropyl alcohol or whatever. But anyway, that's that's where people up. Oh, they found that they got an opportunity to trash the Trumpster. And that's the single most important thing to our press. Uh, a couple of other stories I wanted to run by Mr. Producer Mark here. Well, first off, there was a as I asked Clay Travis, uh, sports radio host yesterday, I was like, is there a draft going on? Apparently there was a draft. How did it go, Producer Mark? Uh, you're referring to the NFL draft. I know yes. most of our listeners probably know that, but uh, I have to inform Buck these things sometimes. Mm-hmm. It went well. Number one overall pick was as expected. Joe Burrow, the quarterback out of LSU, goes to Cincinnati, which stinks for him. No offense to Cincinnati, but it's a small market uh, in, in terms of the NFL realm of the 32 teams. And, uh, yeah, I think the draft went well. It was an interesting draft. You know, Roger Goodell. Uh, how was it different? Well, it was in his, Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, was in his basement. Uh, and everyone was kind of separate. They had feeds of, like, Skype probably of every prospect of in their house. And all the anchors were in their different living rooms and stuff. And it was just – it was like a, a mobile NFL draft, which has never been done before. They were supposed to be in Las Vegas on boats at the Bellagio welcoming Oakland to Las Vegas. The Oakland Raiders are – well, not, not, not Oakland anymore. The Raiders are now the Las Vegas Raiders. So it was supposed to be a big welcome in Vegas. And instead, everyone was at home. Mm, fair enough. And the, 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 lead, the way this works is that you, it goes like many rounds, right? There's many yes, rounds there's seven that they draft. Rounds. Not seven rounds, okay. Um, and then, because then the, they don't fill out the whole team roster, then there's also the training camp stuff and they can add or drop people, right? Well, their free agency already happened. So okay. teams filled out their rosters with the big free agent signings. Then the draft happens, every team originally get seven picks but then there's trades and supplemental picks for losing free agents and stuff like that see my my thing is that with with the debates i actually believe the presidential debates will be better 
without an audience. I think that an audience is annoying and they make noise and, you know, I don't need to hear them cheer for the other. That's just bull. Yeah, it's just annoying, cheer, too. Usually... I just want to hear what they're saying. I don't exactly. Want to I want to hear what the candidates are saying. I don't want to hear the audience. And I also think that the moderators can sometimes could look i've been in front of a live audience with bill maher you better go in there and be ready to get booed and people think they're ready to get booed by like 200 people on tv until they are and then you know they can get really rattled by that i mean i don't give a what but uh for sports such a big i mean i have been to a lot of live sports of uh, professional sports events in my life and the audience is like a, a an, especially if it's just an integral part of it i don't know it feels like in, in, in Europe, I know sometimes if there's bad behavior by this fans, like soccer hooligans of a team, they will uh, clear out the stadium and only play for the, you know, for the fans to watch at home. But they won't allow the local fans to go to the game. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. That's why you yes. sometimes have these 80,000 person soccer stadiums, you know, with two world class teams and it's empty. Do um, you think we're going to have that with football? It's possible. I mean, what if football starts September, October? Do you really think they're going to have 80,000 people, 100,000 people in a building together to watch football? I don't know. It's, uh, I doubt it. It just feels to me, I still don't really understand the mechanics of why, you know, why being in a stadium, like if you're in a stadium with 100,000 people, you're really only going only gonna to come into contact, close physical contact with probably, I, well, I guess it's that there's a lot of people that could come into physical contact with 30 or 40 other people. You, you know, must only sit in like the good seats when you go to a sporting event. I've been try to, to sit those. in the upper deck. I've been a few to a few of those corporate boxes. <laughs> yeah, in the corporate boxes you can social distance. Try to do that yeah. in the upper deck or in the upper concourses where you're smushed into a million people and you're you're basically into a cardboard box to sit and you're trying to get food and you're online and you're it's impossible. Yeah, but that's where the real fans are. It is where the real fans are. All the real fans are going to get COVID-19. Yeah, that's not not good. Um, So, yeah, I just wonder what's going to happen with the professional sports leagues. And and then one other thing, you know, you have a you have a missus. I do not. But there was a Japanese, uh, a Japanese politician. I think I forget what his role was. Not the president. It wasn't Shinzo Abe, but it was another like senior guy in Japan, the Japanese government, who made some comments about, I think it was in the realm of public policy, but he was basically saying, look, let the guys go to the grocery store because they shop so much faster. True. <laughs> this cre- that is this true. created mayhem. Everybody was like, oh my gosh, how could you? Uh, you, you already said it's true, huh? True. So Mrs. I- Mrs. Mark is not going to, she's not going to uh, deny you meatloaf this weekend because you're saying this no, is true. I've said this to my wife's face. If I go to the grocery store by myself a minute out in 10, 15 minutes, if she comes with me, she likes to walk up and down every aisle, and then we end up spending $400. <laughs> oh, man, the range is hot with producer Mark. I, I thought you were going to have to, like, dance around this one a little bit. But, no, and she's behind yeah. me, too, so she she's giving me a death glare. I'll go with it. Yeah, man. I, look, I'm just saying, man, there's... You know, uh, when I go to the grocery store, which I obviously have to do all the time now, there's no one else to go. And I've also never been married. So I've never had a, a woman. But I've been with with uh, with girlfriends before. We've gone shopping the grocery store. And it is always a, I'm just this. Is, I'm speaking from the I perspective or the me perspective. Uh, I, I have never my patience has never not been tested by how much longer my female companion takes at the grocery store. I will yeah. say that uh, I think you go in wired to you need the things. Yeah. What do you need? You need milk, eggs, steak, chicken, um, maybe paper towel if you're out, 
and, you know, some veggies if you want to be healthy. Boom. And maybe you grab some cereal on the way out or something. That's it. How long can this take? There's a 15-minute limit that they have in one of the grocery stores near me. And I'm like, this is a good thing. There should always be a 15-minute limit. Get out of here. What do we think? I agree with you. There should mm-hmm. never be more than 15, 20 minutes in a grocery store unless, I mean, you're moving to a new apartment, you need extra food, stuff like that, sure. But in general, what do I need an hour in a supermarket for? I got to say, you know, where, where, do you, where do you burn the most time when you go to the grocery store? What is, what is your happy section? Happy section? Uh, yeah. Well, I need to look at all the ice creams. That's for sure. Your, your Cookies, ice cream, okay. Bakeries, bakery stuff, you know, stuff like that. I, I, I go wild. and Now, I, this is kind of similar to you, but I, I, the frozen section for me is where I end up burning the most time. Frozen food used to have this wrap of, you know, the TV dinners that you didn't want to eat and that were gross and everything. Frozen food sections now, major grocery stores, they've got great stuff. I agree. There's really, yeah. there's really good stuff. There's great mac and cheese. There's chicken tenders. There's, so I burn a lot of time in the frozen. There's baked goods that for a gluten-free person, because you, you really they don't move enough gluten-free baked product to usually have it slacked out which means not not for you know because all baked goods really they will freeze when they move them and then they'll slack it out which means let it defrost and what you get is actually defrosted bread people don't or you know defrosted muffins people don't realize that um also any fish that you buy has the first thing they do is they freeze it they have to freeze it right away otherwise they'd never be able to bring it to you so people have this notion of frozen is bad frozen frozen is actually often the freshest way certainly for food to be transported but you can get things at their peak freshest true of blueberries and and other fruits and veggies too better to go out of season if, if you're in season, obviously, it, you know, they can take it right from the farm and bring it to you and all that stuff. But if you're out of season, certain produce better to go frozen because it is flash frozen at a peak of ripeness. Yeah, I go story. frozen veggies all the time. It's also like when you're Thank making you. um, tomato sauce, you actually want to use unless you get great in season tomatoes, which that's only part of the year. Better to use uh, stewed canned tomatoes because they go right in. When they're fresh. Yeah, that's, you know, your old Italian grandmother. Not that you have an old Italian grandmother, but yeah. they'll, they'll always say they use the canned tomatoes. They have a specific brand that they like to make their gravy. Yeah, that's true. That's the that's the deal. So anyway, that's uh, producer. Mark. We didn't even have to wait very long. He's like, yep, Miss, Mrs. Mark takes. Like, tell Mrs. Mark we all say hi, by the way. I will. Mrs. Mrs. Mark takes a little bit longer. But look, she's she wants to make sure that she brings producer mark all the fresh and delicious food yeah she wants to make sure i spend as much money as humanly possible what is the what is the ultimate do you guys have the same taste in ice cream what is the go-to ice cream flavor in general like just plain flavors chocolate is the flavor chocolate's the the, but do you have like a funky flavor like chunky monkey or uh rocky road or i'll go any for me personally any ben Ben and jerry's like uh you know uh uh, I can't even remember. A fish food is really good. Half baked mm-hmm. is my favorite. I'm, I gotta yeah. tell you, I've I've had more ice cream in the last month. <laughs> Too much. Any time in my any time in my life. Every night I eat and I'm like, yeah, can't go out, can't see anybody. I got some ice cream in the fridge though. It's not not good for me, but what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Uh, you're just gonna eat more of it. That's what I've been yeah. doing too. Ice cream, cookies, anything. ice cream, YOLO. Oh man, I've been putting the sweets away too. It really, it is kind of a mass experiment we're running on whether stress eating is a thing. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, stress eating is a thing. This is a thing that people do. It's better than like you know, dr- you know, drinking too much alcohol or smoking too much weed. But uh, still, stress eating is a thing that people well, do. I, I think those two things make you eat more food. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, that's also true. I definitely in, in college, I remember we would order food at like one o'clock in the morning because we we're all so drunk and like trying. We thought it would keep us from being hung over. Who, who's eating pizzas at one o'clock in the morning? College kids yeah. were drunk. So that's what Domino's and Pizza Hut and stuff like that exists for. Hmm. Yeah, this is when I uh, could eat gluten, too. So I used to eat those. Um, what were the, the breadsticks? Oh, cheesy bread. Yes. Uh, the cheesy breadsticks with like dunking it in sauce, too. You've got to figure out a gluten free version. I'm sure Snow Princess can figure that out. Yeah. Oh, no, she's got it. She makes the best gluten free chocolate chip cookies I've ever had in my life. They're amazing. But she left a she left a plate of them for me and she's like, give them out to people. But I was like, sure, honey. And then I was like, but I don't want to give anybody, you know, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, they're you know all in your stomach, aren't they? You know, yeah, they're all in my belly because I don't want to give anybody a cookie. I don't know. What if I cough on my hand? What if you know what I mean? Like, I got to do what I got to do. So I ate the cookies. Oh, myself. yeah. You big sacrifice. For Buck I there. ate the cookies yeah. myself. Roll call is coming up next. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Roll call, everybody. That's right. So it's a roll call day, roll call night. Heading off. Oh, BuckSexton.com is the website, folks. That is where you should be going to get your daily news deep dive. That's right. And we're going to even find out, you know, way we're going to get producer Mark to do the penalty box. He'll do like short rant commentary. You know, Mark, you know what you'd be very good at? You ever see those guys who get in the car and they just video themselves and they're just like, somebody explain to me why a peanut is neither a pea nor a nut. You know, like they just kind of lay into it. You'd sure. be good. I'd be good. So you're saying I'm, I'd, I'd be good at yelling. Well, you know, Basically like talking about at. things that don't make talking about things that don't make sense to you and that other people would agree with. All right. I'm just coming up with content ideas. But, you know, we're BuckSexton.com. We got news stories going up there. Um, also, if you're not on Twitter, which a lot of people I know are not, uh, it's really Twitter mostly exists for uh, journalists to argue with and try to show off for other journalists. That's kind of the, the main function that I think Twitter plays. But you can also uh, follow uh, on Instagram. Uh, Producer Mark, do you think we should start a Buck Sexton Show Twitter account that's separate from me? We should think about that, I, that you could run. I, I think there is one that we is, don't have access to. <laughs> We're locked out of a, uh, That's good times. That's good times. We might want to figure that one out. That's the, that's the craziness. I love All when right, you well. do these show meetings on air and then you find things out. Yeah. Well, now everybody knows. The, the team is totally they're they're a part of this, man. This is the this is the the house that Team Buck built. That's what we're doing. So, all right, we'll figure that out. I was like, maybe we should have a show account. Apparently, we do. I didn't I didn't even know that. Uh, but we'll we'll make it all happen. Okay. I, he sent me roll call, so let's get into it. Your thoughts here, please. That's what we do. That's how we roll. And with that in mind, we have Morea. I think that's the way to pronounce this. Since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, my biggest fear has always been that our economy crashes and can't recover. I do believe that we are dealing with a horrible disease, but I never bought into the experts telling us that millions of Americans were going to die. Now, after six weeks of quarantining, another large fear that I have is the threat of mail-in voting. I truly believe that if Democrats pass this, it will be the end for conservative Republican candidates winning any election at any level of government. What measures can citizens take to ensure that this happens? Um, well, we talked a little bit about mail-in voting and how there's really just no, it's, it's a wide open door for fraud. And people who keep saying 
that election fraud is minor and barely exists, well, that's also because it's very hard to prove and no one ever wants to put the resources toward figuring it out. Um, and that does exist. And in fact, one of the major cases of election fraud in recent years was some guy who was doing ballot harvesting, I think, down in North Carolina, if memory serves, or South Carolina. Pardon me for getting my Carolinas mixed. But uh, he was in one of those two states and he was doing ballot harvesting, which was in some states it's illegal. I think in Nevada, for example, ballot harvesting is illegal. Uh, other states allow it. So, yeah, I I think that it would be a problem if, if they went through with this. I'm not really sure. Uh, yeah, and look, I don't think I don't think it's going to happen. The only way that this would be the the uh, the format the election takes is if we're still in a really bad place with the disease and Republicans cave on this and say, OK, fine, this is how we're going to do it. Um, although states do have a big say. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I wish I could tell you that I knew what the fall would look like, what November will look like from a political standpoint, from an election standpoint. But I do know that the election will happen. Um, that is that is for real. Uh, the stuff you're hearing from Biden out there about how the election may be delayed. This is just crazy. And that's why I like it when Trump calls out crazy Biden. Uh, Mark, play clip 12. I can't tell you what's going to happen. We have a sleepy guy in a basement of a house that the press is giving a free pass to who doesn't want to do debates because of covid and lots of things are happening right and i watched a couple of interviews and i say oh i look forward to this but they're keeping him sheltered because of the coronavirus and he's not moving around he's not moving too much they are keeping him on lockdown you know, Trump is also over 70, and yet the president is still being the president. I know there are precautions around him, too. Certainly, and I don't just mean Secret Service precautions. I mean, the, the disease precautions that are being put into place. Um, but it will be interesting to see if Joe Biden even really has to emerge if there is a campaign. I would wonder at this point how much it would even make a difference. It seems like the election is going to be a referendum on Trump. The media is going to have a huge voice in this. Trump, because of who he is and how he understands the media, will certainly be making his case and be using the platforms that are at his disposal to counter the narrative from the mainstream media. But they'll view this as an opportunity to reassert their power. That's going to be a huge part of this. They feel like what happened in 2016, not only ideologically and for many journalists personally offended them, but they also think that it was a repudiation of their ability to shape the national conversation around politics. And so they want to reassert themselves the next time around and let everybody know, hey, uh, the media still gets to call the shots on this stuff. And if Trump loses, that will be the perception that they come away with. And so you're going to see the most insane effort to destroy Trump from mainstream media you've ever seen since 2016. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. More of the roll call. David writes in, Hey, Buck, the Ted Nugent podcast was absolutely incredible. I've heard him over the years and always admired him both as a guitarist and as a critical thinker, but he needs time to get going, and you made that happen. I'm going to have to listen to it a few more times because he wastes no thoughts on what he believes 
and he moves fast. Ribeye in the sky had me laughing out loud. Keep up the great work. Yeah, he was talking about the Sand Hill Crane there, which uh, I had never even heard of before. But turns out Sand Hill Cranes, because they're a migratory bird, are covered under federal law. You know, birds that migrate are a, a federal issue for hunting purposes. And there had been a federal prohibition, I believe, in the past on hunting them. But maybe now that's gone. But he says you can't eat them. And, you know, who knows? Um, I, it's, uh, I don't know the Michigan hunting laws very well. Josh, uh, hey, Obi Buck Kenobi. I believe the term you were searching for yesterday was hope shaming. Bill Maher had a decent segment about it on his show last week. He had all of his arguments regarding the administration's virus response calmly and respectfully dismantled by Representative Dan Crenshaw. He was left speechless at times without his liberal mob crowd to back him up. The crowd you bravely faced. Keep your shields high. This is the way. Well, Josh, thank you. And yeah, look, Bill, the whole structure of the Bill Maher show is that there's an audience to boo you and he can just jump in and yell, you know, F-bomb, F-bomb or shut the F-bomb up or something. And you have to sit there if you're the conservative and be like, okay, you know, here we go. I mean, there's not unless you want to try to escalate and and then you're just the crazy person in the room. Right. So you're it's it's structured so that it's not really um, a converse. It's not, not that it's a fair conversation at all. It's structured so that it's barely even a conversation. It's a little bit like doing the Daily Show back in the day where people kept thinking, oh, I'm, I'm clever, I'm smart, I'll sit there. No, when someone else can manipulate the audio and the video as they did on the Daily Show of interviews, doesn't matter who you are, because they'll cut it out of order, because they'll say, ha ha, it's just a comedy show. They'll cut it up and they'll make you look dumb. It doesn't matter. They'll, they'll, they'll deliberately misrepresent what you've said and they'll cut things out where the person's looking at you funny and where you're being all serious or you look like an idiot. You know, when someone else controls the environment, I and mean, this is why when people call into radio shows um, and and they argue with with individuals on the radio show, the radio host can turn you down. The radio host can talk over you. The radio host has the audience on his or his or her side. It, it usually doesn't go well for the person who wants to try to call the host out on air. But unless they call in and, you know, make like a fart noise and like ah you know <laughs> these things that they oh what was it did the howard stern used to this show used to do that to people all the time right yeah baba booey what is that what is baba booey really you know nothing about the history of radio sometimes don't you yeah it's true it's uh basically one of howard stern's cronies would call into random shows and yell baba booey or they would do they I've seen it at like golf events. All of a sudden, you know how at golf when somebody's about to shoot, everyone's quiet. All of a sudden, yeah. you hear in the background, "Baba Booey," somebody screams it, some stuff like that, and then they can ah. have fun fun with it on the show. Ah, I see. You know, in the the most Howard Stern that I ever watched was way back in the day when they used to have that. They had the the cameras, so they were kind of ahead of the time with this a little bit. They had the cameras and they did a show on E. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yes, a long time ago. But I, I actually used to see that version of the Howard Stern show a fair amount. Um, and there were, it was uh, interesting, the folks they had on. It was um, quite an assortment. Yeah, they have an assortment. But you know what I will say about Howard? He's the best interviewer ever. People always say this. He I is. should listen to, you know, my, I, really, I really enjoy, even though I think he's wrong about some things, I think he comes across like a, a thoughtful and, and, and decent guy. And in the current media environment, that's, that's such a rarity these days. You know, people either love to shout at everybody and call everybody idiots, uh, which is just boring and pathetic, uh, or they 
um, really just want to monologue and then like hand it to the guests for a second and then go back to their monologue. And there are very few people that really connect with with other ideas in a meaningful way. Uh, so I, I had to find like what's a great example of really what I'm, you know, Rush I grew up listening to and, and like that form of talk radio I know very well. I did not listen to much Howard Stern. I really even though I'm a New Yorker, I really didn't. It wasn't my thing. Uh, so I'd have to find like a great example of him doing a long form interview with somebody as a real because I've heard other people say that, too. And you're you're a student of the game. So if you're telling me that he's a really good interviewer, but is it just because he asks questions that nobody else will ask because they have parameters of of like decency that they won't cross? Right. Like, is that is that is, is the secret weapon that he's such a good interviewer or, or is it that he is an interviewer with no rules? Well, he'll be like, you know how good is your wife at doing yeah, blah, I mean, blah 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 he will ask that stuff obviously you know they, right. they're a silly show sometimes but he just connects with the guests in a way and gets he gets people to open up in a way that nobody else does hmm i'll have to go check this out well we'll see as for um yeah crenshaw i saw that exchange i thought dan crenshaw did a very did a very good job and look a lot of people are expecting that dan crenshaw in about 10 15 years is going to run for president so if he just keeps doing what he's doing, I think that's a very real possibility. Uh, Robert, I'll tell you what makes me mad. While our country is dealing with a major national disaster, both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, scatter like rats and leave town instead of staying in Washington and getting the people's business done. Shouldn't this be the time they donned PPE and sat in Congress and hammered out deals to help the American people? What has gone wrong with your system? Um, I'm sorry, with our system, not your system. It's like, it's like I don't control this thing, man. I don't know. Uh, yeah, look, the, the members of Congress, generally speaking, are not going to be, they're not profiles in political courage. I wouldn't expect them to be profiles in personal courage either. There are exceptions to that, clearly. I was just talking about Dan Crenshaw. But, you know, overall, a lot of them are going to be like, eh, you know, I don't want to be there. Um, they're concerned very much about this disease. And so they're just going to use this. They're, they're, look, they don't want to they don't want to take the risk. That's what it really comes down to. And as for Pelosi and all that. Um, well, here you have uh, you have AOC, for example. Producer Mark, where was that clip? Oh, yeah. Just rewriting history in real time. Here's AOC talking about how it's Republicans, even though Democrats, the ones that keep slowing down the emergency funding bills. It's Republicans who are at fault. Play clip 11. On behalf of my constituents in the Bronx and Queens, New York's 14th congressional district, the most impacted district in America, calling people, losing their families every day. It is a joke when Republicans say that they have urgency around this bill. The only folks that they have urgency around are, are folks like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse and Shake Shack. Those are the people getting assistance in this bill. You are not trying to fix this bill for mom and pops. And we have to fight to fund hospitals, fighting to fund testing. That that is what we're fighting for in this bill. It is unconscionable. If you had urgency, you would legislate like rent was due the on May 1st and make sure that we include rent and mortgage relief for our constituents. I mean, this is just this is delusional. Democrats wouldn't give money for additional small businesses to get money. They held it up. If you're going to talk about a lack of urgency, the lack of urgency comes from the Democrats. Republicans are trying to pass more bills about other things, too. Why hold up a bill that everyone agrees on the purpose of it? Everyone has already agreed on a bipartisan fashion for the goals of the bill. So then why make it go more slowly? Why be difficult in that process? I mean, there's there's no good answer to that other than Democrats wanted something out of it. They wanted to try to use leverage. So 
you know, AOC's complaints here about how there's no urgency from the right. This is just rewriting of history. Again, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, the Democrats are the ones who keep dragging their feet on these very important bills. We know it. We see it. It's clear. So let's not allow them to pull this nonsense where they're telling us that there's something else going on here than, than what really is going on. Um, oh, back to roll call. Sorry about that. Uh, Sonia, let's be frank. When they say if it saves one life, it will be worth it. What they really mean is if it saves my life, all your pain and suffering is worth it. Um, no, Sonia, I mean, I actually think that for a lot of the lockdown extreme consensus folks uh, that, that refuse to even entertain the notion that more moderate mitigation could have gotten us to basically the same place with far less economic damage, which is the argument. The argument is not just go out and hug and kiss and cough on everybody and there's no problem. I mean, that's never been the argument. That's absurd. Um, but, yeah, the people that are pushing the lockdown for everyone, uh, they're... It's easy for them to say that generally they're not suffering from a lockdown and they also recognize that the lockdown has major political implications. A destroyed economy means that President Trump can't run on the economy. It doesn't matter that it's not his fault. They know this, right? It's not president's not going to be able to go in in the fall and say, hey, guys, look at how great I was at running the economy. Once we get past this virus, we'll be right back there. That that that's going to be a tough, a tough sell. So there's a clear political incentive for people on the left to root for the greatest economic damage possible while also feeling that they have this this built in virtue uh, of we're the good guys because we want every life. Every life will be protected. But that's not true. We've lost 50,000 people already. People are going to die from this. They're going to continue to die from this. It's a terrible situation. Um, so, yeah, Jenny, I work in aerospace and our company is going to lay off 30% of the workforce next week. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, Jenny. That stinks. Really tired of the president being hammered daily in his press briefings. I think next time a reporter asks him about a state opening up, right away he needs to make an example of that reporter. Uh, well, he, he actually did that pretty well. Bruce and Mark, play 13, please. <laughs> For you're the president and people tuning into these briefings, they want to get information and guidance and want to know what to do. They're hey, not looking for rumors. I'm the president and you're fake news. And you know what I'll say to you? I'll say very nicely. I know you will. I know you will because I know the guy. I see what he writes. He's a total faker. So are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? It's just a suggestion from a brilliant lab by a very, very smart, perhaps brilliant man. He's talking about sun. He's talking about heat. And you see the numbers. So that's it. That's all I have. I'm just here to present talent. I'm here to present ideas because we want ideas to get rid of this thing. And if heat is good and if sunlight is good, that's a great thing as far as I'm concerned. It is a great thing. It means that the summer months we're heading into will be useful for the suppression of this virus just based on environmental factors. But you ask for him to make an example. There he is. He says, I'm the president and you're fake news. Uh, that actually, that'd be kind of funny to keep as, as, a, as a drop. I mean, that's a great one. I'm the president and you're fake news. Uh, next up here on Roll Call, uh, Thomas Buck, I side with Mitch McConnell. The latest iteration of bailout money must be the last of it. 
let states that failed to maintain fiscal budgets file for bankruptcy. They are the ones who created this economic disaster shields high. Well, Thomas, as I was discussing, I think there is a difference between um, the bills that are now coming, the bills that are now gathering together for states that are direct result of COVID-19 versus what they, you know, nothing that was owed by a state, you know, no debts that a state had accrued before February of 2020 should even be under consideration for federal money, as far as I'm concerned. But if you look at what's happened for some states that have been hit, for some states that are hit really badly by this, uh, you know, there's, that's going to be a tougher call because uh, we get into, okay, well, does Florida get, you know, when Florida gets hit, for example, by a natural disaster, is there federal leaf funding? When Louisiana gets hit by Katrina, you know, there's their federal funding, right? That we see that there are times when states do get disaster funding. And I don't think that we should deny that to places for this. But what we shouldn't allow to happen, I think this is your point, too, although maybe you take it a little bit further than this, is we shouldn't allow states to be able to get out of their uh, their previous ridiculous spending, overspending uh, because now the federal government has the pocketbook open. So I, I would agree on that if that's where you are. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And as I was saying, make sure you go to BuckSexton.com. Please bookmark it, check in. You can listen to the podcast there. We're going to come up with, if you come up with great ideas for producer Mark content, we'll put some of that up there. So he, he loves that idea. We'll, we'll have, you know, Bruce Marks list of the top 10 best sandwiches, top 10 best Netflix picks. We'll come up with something. So I, I that, could do sports stuff, but unfortunately there, there are none. Yeah, that's right. right. We actually could have you do producer. The penalty box could be about sports. Perfect. But we, we don't, when sports we, we, comes we, back, we'll can get you, right I was going to say, can you please bring sports back, though? I can't personally. Can you call some of your people? Uh, I think it's more your people that can help here. Yeah, that's I'll, I'll, I'll speak to the White House. Folks. Yeah, the we'll see the, the big do. guy in the White House, he might be able to help. There we go. Uh, Adam Buck, on the train horn issue, you likely were hearing a grand crossing. It's two long blasts, one short and one long as the train hits the crossing. As the train cannot stop for more than a mile, it's a needed warning. Sometime, some towns will make deals with a train company to silence the trains during the night hours. Shields high. Um, well, yeah, man, that would have been nice for me in college when in the middle of the night it was like, Poo! You know, and I'm like, no, I don't need to hear this. It was loud. This train was loud. Um, but trains are still very important for transporting freight. But I have a feeling that uh, he didn't tell us this, but Adam sounds like he's probably a train engineer. So this is what I love with this audience. I'm just like, excuse me. Could could someone explain to me um, how uh, we, we could do the following? Like, I, I need an expert in putting those those ships inside of bottles and we would get a bunch of people right in who are like, well, I'm actually buck not to be, not to be immodest, but I'm the number two ranked international ship in bottle expert. And, you know, do yeah, you remember we have that? Experts on everything. We have experts on everything. You know, this audience is amazing. Like I, I could crowdsource anything to these guys and gals and I'd get an amazing answer. Uh, Steven, uh, I watched Governor Cuomo live. I was amazed at the arrogance of his point. Those who need to work to get, need to get an essential job, despicable, the majority of America needs to get back to work. I'm glad to see Governor Kemp in Georgia leading the charge in a state that has been absolutely rocked by skyrocketing unemployment numbers, only behind New York and California. Um, yeah. Hey, look, man, I'm, I hear you. Uh, I think the Cuomo really, really misstepped there. 
Uh, David writes, I'm really curious why everyone prefaces any comment about crazy Uncle Joe with I'm sure he's a really nice or good guy. Look at his history. He's not a nice or good guy. He's always been a political hitman for his party. He's nasty, mean, spiteful, hateful, and always was. Now he's just pathetic, senile old man who's being used by his party and his family to get power. In which case, he'll cast aside, he'll be cast aside by the people pulling his strings to make him seem rational. David, not holding back on the fire. Eric, on Rachel Maddow celebrating the hydroxychloroquine study, seriously, how sick does one have to be to take joy in something not working that held such hope? Makes me wonder if they want a solution. Eric, you know where I stand on this one, man. Um, anyway, everyone, thank you so much for uh, joining me. Please tell people about the show over the weekend. Go to BuckSexton.com. Make sure you download the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Tell people to do the same. Uh, we're all going to rest up this weekend because next week it's, uh, it's going to be another challenge. We'll be in it together, though. Shields high.